This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complications. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, I just want to extend uh, a warm welcome to you out there as well, and perhaps if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, or indeed a welcome back, of course, if you're a regular listener. Uh, we do love you tuning in. As always, big show coming up today. Lots to unpack that might help you with your investing decisions, or maybe just make you seem like a well-informed adult at your grand final barbecue this weekend. Either way... Lots to get through, starting with why did Australia give France the flick and what are they building with the US and UK? Hint, it's submarines. Uh, Why is Canva different to other unicorns in Australia? What does it do to Facebook's business model if they know it's bad for people? And AFL Grand Final this week, Thomas, we'll have a quick look at what that means to the good old state of WA. But first, that all sounds ever good. But let's start with Ever Grand. <laughs> if you caught last week's episode, we touched briefly on the collapsing Chinese property developer Ever Grand. Well, if you're listening to this when it's released, uh, today's the day. It's D Day. Thomas, what's going on? Yeah, today's the day that uh, Evergrande goes bust, apparently. So they've right. got, yeah, Ever, Evergrande. So Evergrande are the biggest uh, property developer in China. The Chinese construction industry accounts for a fifth to a quarter of the Chinese economy. So the, the construction industry is massive. Within that massive industry, Evergrande is the biggest fish in the pond by, by a substantial way. And they're about to go bust. So they're, they're $330 billion US dollars in debt. There's $83.5 million of interest coming. Hang on. How many, how many billion dollars in debt? $313. $313 billion in debt. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably bruise, I think, that one. <laughs> yeah, so there's $83 million worth of interest coming due on Wednesday, and no one thinks they're probably going to pay it, which will technically put them in default. Uh, right. Yes, and then... Then what does it mean? What, what, what does that... Ooh. Is it just Evergrande shareholders that are going to lose out? Yeah, well, that's that's probably guaranteed now. No one wants to buy their equity or their bond, so people with with equity and bonds with, with Evergrande are kind of stuck with them. No one's willing to buy them because they're about to go bankrupt. Yeah, so that's so so that's that's the first round of the problems. But then where it goes from there is kind of where it gets interesting and what everyone's worried about. So the liabilities that is equal to 2% of the country's GDP. Those liabilities go to more than 128 banks and over 121 non-banking financial institutions. Right. It spreads right out through the Chinese economy. So, so there's sort of people talking about it being a Lehman Brothers moment. So Lehman Brothers was the bank that collapsed that sparked the whole global financial crisis. Some people are worried that this could be the start of that. Like it's a massive player. For, for a long time, it's been considered too big to fail, but now the Chinese government seems to be willing to let them fail, and there's a lot of banks that are exposed to Evergrande. Right. Is that is that why, like I saw today, and this was recorded Monday, but Australian share market dropped about 
are we worried about this situation as well? Um, yeah, it's definitely weighing on markets, the idea now. I mean, we, it's been around for a little bit. I think we first talked about it on the show here maybe two or three months ago. And it's and for that whole time, most of the investment banks, the Goldmans, those guys have been saying like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a problem. It's going to be a, it's going to suck for Evergrande shareholders, but it'll be all right. It's not going to be a big drama. But it's escalated. Each week it's escalated more and more. And now the company... The crack, like it's hit this crisis point much earlier than people were expecting, and because it's so ex- so many so much of the financial sector is exposed to Evergrande, no one really knows how it plays out, how it's going to play out. You can't really predict it. There's there's too much complexity in the story because you have the direct contagion through through the banks that have lent money to Evergrande. But you also have the property sector itself. So a lot a lot of the a lot of Evergrande's peers and and are struggling to raise money. You've got 65 million empty apartments in China. 21% of homes in urban China are vacant. It's like the highest vacancy rate in the world because they just went and built like massive amounts of apartments to sort of urbanize their population. But that sort of, they sort of built ahead of that, that process. And so there's, yeah, massive glut of empty apartments in China. That they, yeah, Evergrande itself employs 4 million people. Yeah, construction's a fifth or a quarter of the Chinese economy. 60% of seaborne iron ore demand comes from the Chinese construction sector. I was going to say, like, I like, I'm presume a lot of that building happened using, you know, Aussie oh, iron ore. Oh, yeah, we built, we built those apartments, that's right. It was Aussie, Aussie iron ore. Yeah, and Aussie iron, Aussie iron ore is down to $90 a tonne now. Like, it was back at 240 back when we were debunking the hmm. commodity super cycle myth. Yes, it's now down to ninety dollars. So yes, yeah, it, and I think it's how do they get it that cheap? I was chatting to a mate today about the price of iron ore, among other things. You can't even get like like some gravel delivered to your house for, for <laughs> ninety dollars a ton. You'd be lucky to get like refined dirt for that amount. How do they? How they? How can they dig it up in the middle of nowhere and ship it all around the world at ninety dollars a ton? Oh, I think it's scale. Yeah, but that's impressive. It's impressive. Scale. It's impressive scale. Yeah. Scales well, mining. Which you wouldn't think it would because it's heavy, you know, like it's industrial sort of processing and shipping and everything, you know, like if I order a package from Amazon, (laughs) it's like 20 bucks shipping if it's going to come from the US. Punch it into Amazon, see what price you can get. Hey Alexa, order me some iron ore. So that's that's what's hit the iron ore price. I think so. That does seem, yeah, definitely part of it. That seems to be sort of weighing on sentiment now. That growing realization that this, this is actually a pretty big story, and an, an unpredictable story. I think that's what markets don't like unpredictable, and that this is what Evergrande is because it's 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 escalated much more quickly than people expected. Its tentacles run deep into the Chinese economy. The Chinese economy props up most of Asia and Australia. Delta still, you know wreaking havoc in australia it's it's lifting in china as well so now the you know china the chinese economy itself looks quite fragile in the back of this the sounds out of the chinese government is that they're willing to let the recession run and and the property sector have a shakeout because it's been you know quite unproductive for a while mm. um so it doesn't seem like there's a lot of government support coming so that really changes the global the global outlook significantly if, if this sort of crash gets legs do i what do i do just like Sell, 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 sell. Exactly, yeah, go to cash. <laughs> go to cash. Yeah. I mean, is that the play? Uh, it could, it could be a thing. It could not be a thing. It's just hard to know. Brilliant. <laughs> That's why the people tune in, Thomas, yeah. to get that, <laughs> that sound guidance, nuance. <laughs> Take that to the bank in either cash or <laughs> non-cash. <laughs> 
I mean, I think I think I think the road ahead for miners is going to be a bit rocky anyway. Like I think think the commodity super cycle hype got a bit overblown. That that was sort of shaking out already. Um, you add this to the mix, I think the outlook for miners is a bit. It's going to be a bit of a struggle through the rest of the year. That'll weigh heavily on the ASX 200 if you invested in the index funds. I'm getting that. I'm getting that itchy feeling again. That, that, that when the COVID hit and I started, started, as has been well documented, when I started day trading my super, I'm mm. really starting to get that get that twitch again. The old, you know, oh, I might just <laughs> slide some stuff to safer waters. Mm, mm. Well, I guess uh, yeah. If you're tuning in today on on Wednesday, what will it be? The 22nd. Mm. So we're going to go down. It might even I might treat it like the Super Bowl. Take the day off and just watch it. Just watch, it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just watch what happens because it could be uh, it could be spectacular or it could be nothing, as you say. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll find out. And yeah, check back here next week. I'm sure we'll, we'll have more to say on it if it does if it does all uh, blow up. There'll be more to say that's for sure. Um, I did actually see some footage. Speaking of blowing up, they're actually blowing up buildings that are unoccupied in China. Yeah, they're, they're just dem- demolishing them. They're just going, well, you didn't finish it and now Evergrande's collapsing. Yeah. You're not going to finish it. Rather than leaving these dangerously sort of half buildings lying around, we'll just blow them up. They're like 70% done. Yeah, yeah. And they're just going, well, there's no one to buy them. So. Yeah, it's, like, it's unreal footage, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. All right, well, speaking of building things, uh, we've decided in Australia we're going to build some things, Thomas. Mm. Uh, big news this week was uh, an announcement from President Biden Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Prime Minister ScoMo announced that they're going to join up and build submarines. Mm, mm. Yeah, it was a shock announcement. Took took the whole world by surprise. It does explain the nuclear reactor they were building next door to my house here in Adelaide. Uh-huh. Um, turns out they've been lying to me. It wasn't really to power the grow lights in the community garden <laughs> after all. <laughs> it's to build submarines. Oh. They're, going to be, they're, they're going to be nuclear submarines. Um, they're not good, not nuclear weapons. I've been told it's just nuclear powered subs to make make them go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, what does all this mean? Well, there's there's, there's a few interesting things. So, the submarine announcement goes hand in hand with the uh, announcement of uh, an agreement, sort of a the, what they're calling the I think it's AUKUS. Is they using that as an acronym? Yeah, uh, AUKUS. Yeah, so that's about, it's not just the, the nuclear submarines, but there's also long-range missiles, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing. They're just sort of getting, let's say, let's get into bed together and build a sort of united front against China. And that's sort of where that's coming from. And Well, they didn't, in fairness, they didn't say against China. They were very careful to say, we're securing the Asia-Pacific region and making it safer for its occupants. <laughs> Though Dutton did come out afterwards, and I do think we should prepare for more aggressive behaviour from China after this. Right. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the big thing is that the, there was a, was a contract for submarines with France, with the French mm. constructors, and that um, got canned, and that was a bit of... Well, yeah, you talk about aggressive behaviour, that's... <laughs> France is not happy. They're very mad. Yeah, I think I think in fact, AUKUS they- is French for awkward. <laughs> like, oh. Well, France is France is having a. They've had a bit of a tantrum mm. over this. They pulled the the Australian ambassador out, so he's had to go home. Yeah, and the Washington ambassador. And they even cancelled a gala party they were throwing in Washington. They're like, nah, party's off. Ooh. I don't get how anger is an emotion that a country can have. Uh, like I associate anger with like primary school kids and <laughs> primary school kids' parents and the Hulk, but not with a country. Like it seems kind of. Can you have angry countries? Oh yeah, I don't know. I I think they're angry because 
Like, you can't call a nuclear submarine that unless it's made in the nuclear region of France. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just sparkling submarine. But didn't the Beatles invent the submarine? Yeah. It's a UK invention. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand what the attraction of submarines is anyway. Oh, I think they're hard to hit in a context of missiles flying around through the air. Like, you hide them underwater. They've got sea missiles now. They've had them before. <laughs> no, but you can't launch... I don't think you can launch a sea missile from the Chinese mainland and hit something a kilometre underwater. Oh, I don't know about that. And this is what I mean. Like, it feels like submarines mm. are already kind of old technology. Like, I feel like the submarine belongs with the tanks and the infantry mm. somewhere in the 1940s. Mm. And in 2021, we've announced we're going to build some submarines. We've struck up a partnership with two of the biggest superpowers in the world and we're going to build six submarines. This is like when we announced we're going to build the National Broadband Network using an ageing copper backbone. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the NBN of the military. <laughs> Mark my words. By the time these things are built, we're going to stand around and go, why do we need submarines? The, the war has moved online, it's cyber espionage, it's like if you want to take out a city, then surely you're like hacking their, their power grid and knocking out the entire city that way, aren't you? You're not, you're not sailing a ship. Is it just all posturing and, and showing off our military might? Yeah, and I think you have these sort of like indirect conflicts is sort of how tensions go, like Cold Wars go hot, is sort of like we, with US and Afghanistan and Russia when back in the Cold War, there was a lot mm. of flashpoints where there were sort of proxy wars going on where US back forces were, were fighting Russian back forces while US and Russia were pretending that they weren't in war with, with each other, but they kind of secretly were. It's good though. Like it means jobs for a start, doesn't it? Potentially, potentially. Like the old French, I mean, this is what the French are sort of a little bit angry about. They're saying like, well, you, you never told us there's anything wrong with the contracts. We were open to communications, you know, just get on the phone. We're happy to chat. If you had any problems, you know, they didn't, you know, there's no heads up. Just suddenly it's just bang, things cancelled. The French ambassador didn't have a contract. He, he Didn't he say, you know, we had a deal, like a gentleman's agreement. It was all done with a handshake and a, yep, we're all, we're good to go. I don't think there was ever anything signed. I think it was just like... No, a- no, no, no. There was stuff going. They'd set up in Adelaide and company and stuff. They spent $2.4 billion on it already. Ah, it's nothing. nothing. $2.4 billion. You could feed. It's $90 billion <laughs> projected, projected cost. We spent $2.4. $2.4 billion. That's just setting up the demountable on the site. That's all that is. <laughs> it's it's a couple of port loos <laughs> Nice, nice new demountable. Not, not, not a second hand one. Brand banking new demountable. Set up the build the, uh, <laughs> the uh, what do you call it? The chairman's office or whatever it is. Well, I mean, this is this is the thing. So the French, the, the initial contract with the French con- construction company um, had a sixty percent local construction uh, mandate. So sixty percent had to be built in Australia. Hmm. The the announcement of that came at the time that the Adelaide motor plants were being shut down. And so it was seen as a bit of a fob to get Christopher Pine re-elected, is to get some submarines built in, in Adelaide. That's why it ended up being an Adelaide thing. And so 60% had to be built in Adelaide, but the new, this new agreement only mandates 40% local content. So right. potentially less. And we don't know how much it's going to cost. And Well, we haven't got a good history of building submarines. The last ones we promised to build for the French a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, we... Have trouble delivering. Uh, we mandated 60% in the previous deal. You know how many we built? We built none. We built nothing. 
So, so they said, well, 40% of his time. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Dutton's out saying that in the interim, because it's gonna, not, not going to hit the water till 2040, but in the interim, we're going we're gonna to rent some submarines from Britain and the US. Right. So, we're gonna, it's moving to some more of a submarine as a service model. <laughs> SAS, SAS delivery model. So, yeah. Which kind of makes more sense. Like, it totally makes sense. Like, we don't, we, do we need to own submarines as a nation? Is that, is that what we need to buy and own? Well, this kind of thinking got us into trouble during World War II because we just thought, we, you know, our fortunes were hitched to, to Britain and then all our mm. forces went to Britain and then the war came to us and we were like, oh, all of, all of our stuff's in, in the European theatre. We can't defend Singapore. We're in a bit of trouble. But I think I think the reality is if the US-China war went hot, you know, we're on the US side. Like, I don't think there's any we've – got to, we've got to accept that reality. And I think this agreement reflects that reality. You sound disappointed. Do you want to be on the other side? No, no, no. No, I think <laughs> – You heard it here first? That's good to know. I'll be – you know, I'll, I'll stay where I am. Thanks. But it's just interesting to know that you and I will be fighting against each other when the war comes. <laughs> But I, th- I think I think I think a lot, like a lot. I feel like a lot of the commentary about about this ha- doesn't clock how much the geopolitical landscape has changed in the past three or four years, and particularly and mm. particularly since COVID. It's the reality we sort of got to accept. I think that you know mm. this sort of tension between the US and China is not going away anytime soon. It's not tenable for Australia to try and walk the middle path and be friends with everybody, which is, we, you know, for the, most of the 2010s, we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. Like we're selling iron ore and, you know, metals to China. In a hot war, those things get turned into tanks and missiles. Like the, the US is never going to be okay with that. You know, mm. one of its allies selling mineral those, those things to China. So, it, at some point, we had to choose sides. As long as China and the US in this strategic rivalry, we've got to choose, choose sides. We don't. There's, there is no luxurious path where we don't have to choose. And I think mm. this is sort of this choice becoming manifest, and it's a bit of a shock to people. But I'm kind of surprised that most people are as shocked as they are. All right. Well, I guess it'll. I mean, it's going to unfold agonizingly slowly, as you say. Mm. When's the submarine due? 2004. Yeah. 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 Should be really handy by then. <laughs> Don't imagine. A lot more sea around by then, I think, projected. <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a few melting ice caps. Yeah. So submarines will pay for themselves. All right. Uh, why don't we grab a short break there and we will be back with more Comedian versus Economist after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Hey, while you're listening, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Good, bad, or otherwise, we can take it. I'll just assume anything bad is directed at Thomas. Uh, or you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. Or you can send us a message on Facebook or Instagram at CVE Podcast. But for now, Thomas, has Canva become Australia's most successful tech startup ever? Mm, yes, it's going great gun. So last week they announced they, they'd raised US $200 million and that puts their valuation now at US $40 billion or $55 billion Aussie dollars, which puts it on par with Telstra and the iron ore giant Fortescue Metals. On par with Telstra? Yeah. That's huge. I mean, you know, I assume, unless Telstra's had a nasty slide. <laughs> yeah, it's massive. It's massive. They're saying, they're saying now it's got 60 million active monthly users, right. 700 million annualized revenue, exceeding 1 billion by the end of 2021, more than 500,000 paying teams, including you know, American Airlines, Zoom, Skyscanner, Intel, hmm. 7 billion designs since launch. They've, 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 Canva has helped create 120 new designs created every second. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. For those of you who might not know what Canva mm. is, Canva is essentially like a, I don't know, to borrow a really old term probably now, like a graphic design company. So you can really easily make your own fairly swish-looking designs, whether that's for presentations or social media posts or whatever. We actually use it here for Comedian versus Economist. We not not particularly well it's fair to say mm. <laughs> um but it is interesting it's 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 kind of like a i guess it's an easy way of making some of the some of the designs you used to have to know your way around photoshop or something to make really fancy looking things but now um i kind of make that a lot easier which is presumably why it's been so popular yeah yeah that's democratized graphic design effectively yeah, the Canva chief executive Melanie Perkins says visual communication has emerged as a universal need. Hmm. Now, it's up there with water and housing, I'm guess she means there. <laughs> <laughs> water, housing and memes, Thomas. That's all we need in our life. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so yeah, so that puts it so they're a, they're a unicorn. So unicorns are having a 1 billion dollar valuation. They're a unicorn 55 times over, but they're now the biggest Aussie-backed tech startup by a country mile, I think. So, yeah, there's 20 Aussie-backed tech startups worth $1 billion or more. Canva's worth $55 billion. The other 19 combined are worth $32 billion. So it's Canva right. and pretty much nothing else. Probably the, the exception there is Atlassian because Atlassian got, was backed by overseas investors, by US investors early on. So it wasn't, wasn't an Aussie-backed startup. Yeah, still. Yeah, good. yeah. No, they're going. They're going great. The other, the other thing I love about these guys is that they they've pledged to give thirty percent the stake in the company to a foundation to fund charitable works. Right. And so the idea is that the foundation will hold that stake in the company, and that they use that as a sort of a motivation tool for their employees. They're saying like, if we do really well and the and the valuation of the company improves, that helps directly fund charitable work. Mm. If that's true, that would make them one of the biggest charitable foundations in the country. So you sent me a message during the week saying this is potentially like a new capitalism. Well, this is what they're sort of talking about. So for doing, you know, that sort of triple bottom line kind of investing, doing mm. for the social good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have heard that said about it and that, that's sort of the ethos that's driving these guys. I mean, they're, they're young, cool kids out of Perth, I think. 
um, doing awesome stuff. They weren't cool, by the way, until they made like until they set up this this fifty three billion dollar company. <laughs> Everyone will look, looks at them like it happens with like Afterpay or whoever. They're always young, cool people when you see them when they're in the AFR or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, these young, cool people have made it again. But when they're starting out, like mm. you know, everyone's just like ah, just nerds doing nerd thing. Nerds. Yeah, yeah. Goes to show, respect nerds. Yeah, but I don't know if this is going to save capitalism or save society. It's like like Elon Musk this week announced he was giving $50 million to a children's hospital in the US. And everyone's mm. like, go Elon Musk, that's awesome. And it's like, yeah, but like, do we really want to rely on billionaires to sort of prop up crumbling health infrastructure? Like, is that is that really the solution? We'd probably rather that they just paid their tax. Yeah, wouldn't you? Like I pay my taxes, and no one's no one's celebrating me for saving a children's hospital, even though I maybe I did, maybe I, my taxes went towards you know women's and children's hospital here in Adelaide or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, and I'm not not calling Elon Musk a tax dodger, mm. but you know, companies of his ilk have had a history of I guess minimising tax, shall we say, or or avoiding it altogether. So. Although in saying that, like Bill Gates, his foundation's done some pretty good work over the years. Yeah, yeah, again, but it's sort of like they retain the ownership of where, where that goes. So, like, mm. you know, in theory, you know, I mean, governments and democracies have their problems, but in theory, democracy is the collective will of the people and that's the best way to democratically decide where money should go, in theory. And there are big, there are big problems with it in practice, obviously, but, you know, I like, I don't know the principle of letting billionaires decide which which horses to back in the, in the charity race is really a great outcome. It feels more like a symptom of the problem than a solution. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of Bezos flying to space in a rocket. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was his decision. <laughs> yeah. He thought about his best use for, for $50 billion and decided, nay, no, not for you, Children's Hospital. <laughs> I'm going in a rocket. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought there was. Um, I heard something about that. Even their investors in Canva, you had to sort of apply to invest in Canva. Like you couldn't. You know, they're not just sort of taking money anywhere. You had to sort of demonstrate that you were a good human before Canva would sort of take your money. So, seemingly, at least they're they're a company who's walking the talk, mm-hmm. um, not just kind of not just giving sort of lip service to that stuff. So yeah, yeah. and yeah. crushing it. Creating a and awesome, awesome product. Yeah. So, yeah, bravo, little Aussie battlers. Bravo. <laughs> Not an ad, by the way. Sounds, I realised just in hindsight, thinking about that conversation, it sounded a lot like an ad or a cash for comments type affair, but it generally wasn't. Speaking of billionaire companies and billionaires and Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, it's been reported that Facebook knows that Instagram is toxic for teenage girls. It is, yeah. Wall Street Journal broke a report last week saying that, that they had internal research showing that uh, Instagram is harmful for teen, teen girls' body image and well-being, uh, but decided to sit on those findings and not share them until the Wall Street Journal decided <laughs> not share them. Not share them. <laughs> <laughs> it all over their the socials. The company has literally invented sharing. I'm going to slide that into a DM to some of my colleagues, I won't. Yeah, they deplatformed themselves. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, it's interesting, like, because there have been a lot of peer reviewed academic research papers that have shown exactly the same thing that, you know, Instagram use is correlated with worse, you know, overall sense of well being, self esteem, life satisfaction, mood, and particularly body image in young girls. Yeah, so that was academic research, but this is their own internal research. So, 
it sort of becomes impossible now for Facebook to claim ignorance or to claim that it's still be it's still undecided. Like tobacco for a long time was running with a line like, well, there is some circumstantial evidence that smoking causes cancer, but we don't know for sure. You know, try to run that line for as long as they could. Mm. You know, Facebook you know, theoretically had been doing the same thing, going like, well, there, you know, there are some talk of negative impacts, but we don't know for sure. They can't really run that argument now. Like it seems pretty clear if that's what their own internal research is is concluding. In fairness, the tobacco industry and in particular Philip Morris are trying to make good now. So they are, I, heard, I read that they're developing inhaler technology, oh. um, which is nice <laughs> to treat the diseases that they created. <laughs> Not actually stopping selling cigarettes that create those diseases though. So... <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your conflicts of interest. I think a smoking company selling inhalers probably probably might might be worth a look. Yeah, so I don't know what the future is for social media. Like it seems like there is this growing awareness that it that it does create really bad outcomes for people. I mean, one mm. people themselves must start to recognise this at some point. I mean, I suppose when you're a teenager, maybe you don't have enough world and life experience to sort of recognise that this sort of sense of you know sadness that you have is related to your social media use particularly if you've just always grown up with social media being there and you think well this is just life mm. but i feel like at some point people have to clock like actually i'm happier when i'm not on social media so i wonder about its users and then i wonder about the regulatory side like how long do we go knowing that this is a problem that people are making you know people are getting sad some people are potentially you know driven to suicide through the worst impacts of it uh, you know, how long do we sort of tolerate that as a society? How long before the government steps in and go like, oh, actually, we need to sort of need some like responsibility caps or something like, you know, like like a poking mm. machine, like it's some system that, that limits users' engagement for like one hour a week or something. If you use gambling as an example, there are there's this concept now of responsible gambling. So, you know, corporate bookies and things like that, they have those things like you can set, I don't know, deposit limits, you can set you know, enforce timeout, you can, you know, and I, I don't know how successful those things are. At least that's those corporations kind of acknowledging, you know what, our product that we're offering here does does actually cause some harm. Um, it's not good. It's not, it, it can be fun and it can be enjoyable, but it's not good and it's not, not good for everyone. So we're going to provide some tools with which to kind of, I don't know, as you mm. say, regulate it or... Mm, or mm monitor that a bit so yeah it'd be interesting to see i mean and they've i guess they've successfully navigated it you look at gambling companies there mm, mm. especially at, through um covid you know the profits are through the roof so mm. it hasn't really hurt their business if they do more to try and look after people maybe that's where the facebook's instagrams and stuff need to go yeah i mean it's interesting i mean it's interesting also because like like we know like marketing is based on ma making people feel a sense of lack and feeling some sort of sense of inadequacy and, you know, some deficit that they need to, you know, make up by buying a particular product. Like that's a, that's a very specific and well-worn marketing technique. Mm. And, the, and Facebook's platform potentially is sort of amplifying that, particularly with Instagram where it's so, so much comparison with the, with the visual and the, the filtered re, retouch, reshaped v, visual images. Yeah. You know, is is that the fundamental of their advertising model? Is that their their offer their offer to to companies is saying like we we're, we're helping people feel insecure and needy, so they're primed to to receive offers for your products. Like, is is that the actually their business model? Oh, there's a lot. Of, I think there is some good on there, and I think I don't want to 
speak too broadly, but I think everyone would be a lot happier on Instagram if all they saw were just finance charts and the occasional finding <laughs> gag. So if you are looking for a, for a break from <laughs> the advertising, check out at CV Podcast. It just... Just, you know, look at some charts and zone out for a while. Mm, feel good Take about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> look at the price of iron ore and just think, wow, I'm glad I'm not iron ore. <laughs> All right, Thomas, before we go, uh, AFL grand final this weekend. Who are you, who are you backing? Oh, don't ask me that. I don't know who's playing. <laughs> Make me look like I'm out of touch. <laughs> I've got bad news for you. Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs are playing. Oh, right. In the, in the biggest game of the year. Western Bulldogs, that's why they're at Western WA. Yes, exactly right. That's, that's their home ground. Mm-hmm. No, uh, Western Bulldogs, both Melbourne teams. Oh. So, yeah, it should be a cracking game, actually, I reckon. But this is the first time the grand final's been played at Optus Stadium in WA. First time it's been played out in WA. Only the second time it's been played outside of Melbourne. So, oh. um, last year it was played up at the Gabba. Uh, because of the COVID situation in Melbourne this year, things aren't really much better yet. Although they're getting they're getting better, but this time it was Perth that won the right to host hmm. the grand final. So, but what was interesting? What's interesting about it is that they're saying it'll, it'll be obviously a, a significant economic lift for Perth, right? Like you'd oh. see a, a boost in you know as a result of hosting an event like this. And I found some stats. Apparently. It's going to inject ten million dollars into their hotels industry. Wow, that's without interstate visitors, obviously, because of COVID and and WA's wow, runs really? a pretty hard line on letting people in. Thirty thousand plus visitor nights in a hotel on the Saturday of the AFL Grand Final. There's thirty thousand people from outside Perth coming for the, the Grand Final. Yeah, thirty thousand people. Which yes, and not, well, when you say outside Perth, what's capacity of the stadium? Ah, uh, will put me on the spot. I reckon it's sixty thousand. About sixty thousand. So half the the audience is from outside Perth. That seems unreal. Well, no, I, I, I don't know that they're just. <laughs> I don't know they're outside from outside Perth. There'll be some coming from the country, but I imagine there'll be some just from the suburbs who are like. Well, let's just make it a night, stay in the city. There's probably I don't know in, in Adelaide we've had some. They call them great state vouchers here, where you get a oh, voucher yeah, for yeah. a hotel. I don't think of. I don't think too many hotels would be offering discounted <laughs> voucher stays during, you know, on grand final night, you wouldn't reckon. If you if you got one of those, you'd be feeling pretty lucky. Because we paid one, we paid for one here. It was a dollar and we got a free bottle of wine. Wow. Um, yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine that. You got tickets to the grand final, the AFL grand final, and you're staying in a hotel for a dollar with a free bottle of wine. No, so I imagine it's just like people from the suburbs who are, you know, thinking, well, just have a night out, stay in the city. Poor taxi drivers miss out again, of course. Oh, yeah. Like Uber wasn't bad enough for them now. <laughs> People aren't even driving home anymore. They just they will stay in the city, stay in a hotel. But still, yeah, I thought that was interesting. So good luck to both teams in the in the AFL Grand Final. Any any tip for Norm Smith? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I've got, no, got nothing. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, <laughs> thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We do appreciate you listening in each week. As I say, leave us a review on iTunes. That does actually help us out. Or why not go and check out some of the other great shows across Equity Mates Media, Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're In Good Company, 
Talk Money to Me, the brand new podcast from Equity Mates Media. If you haven't heard that, that's actually a really good one as well. So lots to get your ears around. Thanks once again for tuning in and we'll talk to you again next week. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs. Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.